0: Alright, if you have Bibles, I'll turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, let's start in verse 10. This is Paul writing to the young pastor Timothy. In verse 10 he says, But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil people and impostors will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you. And you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God, I pray that you would um, quiet our hearts, allow us to um, allow us the humble experience of having your word, your revelation open before us, uh, that we would approach it with humility and a desire to be instructed. Um, open up our hearts to receive you, to proclaim you, to know you better, so we can be more like your son, Jesus. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so a, a few things I'm going to do, just, just basically, and we're not going to be able to get into the whole, the whole thing, but it helps that we understand the context of this section well enough there's there's a really simple outline and i'm going to give you it's going to sound like the the points of the sermon and it's not necessarily i'm just giving you the the breakdown of this passage specifically one is that suffering is inevitable two that endurance is available and three that assurance assurance is given so you see paul he says uh he, he gives testimony of his own suffering and his own endurance And, and he calls, um, Timothy to embrace the same thing. So he just lays this out and he gives us that really, there's a couple really strong promises, statements in this passage. The first one being, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So, you know, we like to say that one of the the ways in which we orient as a family at BGC is we want people to come and see, right? It's, It's that invitation that we extend to come and see and experience Jesus. And if you've responded to that, um, we're, we're happy to acknowledge that there's nothing about that invitation that promises that life with Christ will be easier or, or lighter or um, rosier. In fact, in many ways, based on this and other things that Jesus said, um, we can, in some ways, expect the opposite. And historically in the church, this has been easy to see, that to claim Christ and to uh, identify yourself with him and, and, and the, the, the people that were following him naturally meant alienation, rejection from your family, from your government, from your society, all those things, and, and oftentimes to the fullest extent. Um, so uh, that's what it's meant for most Christians. We might not necessarily understand those threats in our life, and we can be thankful for that, um, although sometimes I wonder if the lack of those threats means that many Western Christians don't really know what it means to, to give up your whole life to follow Jesus, because that's, that's what we're called to do. So Paul gives us, he says, Essentially, that persecution, that suffering, that difficulty is, is inevitable. Um, and this kind of echoes what Jesus said. If, you, if you've heard this passage before in John 16:33, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. He just says it nice and plainly. Life brings suffering. It's just the way of things, right? And then he says, be, be courageous. I have conquered the world. So there's, there's the offer. Even in that statement, there's the offer of endurance Based on something that we can know that is outside that suffering as well, so we'll get to that in a minute. So suffering is inevitable, um, and then I just want to highlight—I want to highlight some things that Paul says. One, this idea that he's been rescued. Uh, so in verse one, it says, "Along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in these places, uh, persecutions that I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from all evil." Um, It'd it just be good to highlight what "rescued" means to Paul. Because a little context here, this is the last letter that Paul writes. Paul is in prison, and he's not going to get out of prison. And he knows he's not going to get out of prison. He later in chapter 4, 2 Timothy talks about, I'm, I'm already being poured out. My life is coming to an end. This is it. I fought the fight. I kept the faith. Like he knows this is the end of his life and his ministry. And yet here, he's able to say, the Lord has rescued me from all my sufferings all persecutions. That's a, that's a wild thing to say on death row, right? Uh, and, and what it has to mean, and, I, and hopefully this is the beginning of a kind of comfort that we can, we can cling to, is that Paul has in his mind a category for rescue that doesn't, include, that doesn't include relief. He has in his mind an idea of being rescued that doesn't include relief, okay? Because we're promised one and we're not necessarily promised the other. So in his mind, there's something that allows him to feel the rescue and the deliverance from persecution and from suffering that doesn't equate to relief from that specific suffering in the moment, right? And I think this is where we get the idea, where I think you get his idea of, of endurance. So verse 14, i just going to hone in on one word here. He says, but as for you, continue. But as for you, Continue. This is, um, forgive me for beating a certain word to death, but what a beautifully ordinary call that is, right? He doesn't say in the face of suffering, fight back, you know, stand firm. He doesn't say go hide. He doesn't say run away. He doesn't say amass an army. He just says continue. As for you, continue. Just keep going. Like, what if, what if that was the most radical and extraordinary and beautiful thing a Christian can do is in a world fraught with suffering, enemies on all sides, persecution surrounding all over us, right, is that the Christian is able to continue. We think about our kids. We think about the things that we want for them and we desire for them. It's, It's easy to default to great things. We want them to do great things. We want them to accomplish great things for the Lord. My fixation on that word ordinary has come because I, I read a book on, it was a, it's called The Theology of the Ordinary. It's a really short little beautiful book. And in it, they're not disparaging these things, but they're pointing out that there was a wave of books that were written about 10 years ago maybe that were like radical, crazy love, all these calls to some sort of extraordinary Christianity. Where like if you weren't some sort of visible hero of the faith uh, that you hadn't attained you know, maybe what it is you've been called to attain. And maybe here, Paul is saying, that's not what the call is. The call is to just continue. The call is just to keep on, keeping on. What if that was the most beautiful and radical thing that we could do? I think ultimately, this is why Paul says um, in Romans, with the uh, letter he wrote earlier in Romans 5, 3 through 5, he says, we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance, character, character, hope. He doesn't say we rejoice in our afflictions because it has, it's the opportunity for us to show the champion that we are of self-control or anything like that. He says it just produces hope and, and it just makes us better. It's just an opportunity to live through those things and to continue in those things. Um, I think also this is why, if you ever get a chance, we're going to start a series in Ephesians soon, um, but one of my favorite parts in that, is that book, in that book is the prayer that talks about what he wants for the people of, of Ephesus. And it's a beautiful prayer. It's one that I think we should memorize and echo over our own children and, and our own families, our own church, our own city. And it's, but it's not filled with heroism. It's filled with knowing, being secure and knowing what is true, ultimately of God and, and outside of us that's been offered to us and just resting secure in those things. That's a, that's a beautiful thing that we should desire for ourselves and for our kids. It's not crazy. It's not... It doesn't sound radical, and maybe that's why it is so radical, is that the call is, as Paul says here, but as for you, just continue. Um, He he testifies of that endurance himself, and he calls Timothy to the same thing by saying, as for you, just, just continue. Continue in what it is that you've learned and firmly believed. So this is where the assurance comes in, because we know that to endure something, we need to be able to cling to something outside of that moment. No one has ever said, the best way to endure a long class that you're so tired of is to will just stare at the clock. You know what I mean? Like, you, you have to have some, some reality outside of this that kind of you, keeps you going, right? When, I'm, when, when we have been and even still at times gone through, like, really what feel like heavy, endless seasons of sleeplessness because our kids are sick or they're just going on these cycles and no one is sleeping, and you just feel like the walls are closing in... Um, Endurance is not just gritting your teeth and saying, like, I can will myself through this thing. It's reminding yourself that, like, well, no, they grow up. This, no one has ever had to endure this kind of season endlessly. There's a hope. There's something beyond this that we can, we can look to. And so Paul lays this out. He, says, he doesn't say, just continue. Just, just clench your teeth, pull yourself together, will yourself through. He says, continue. And he says, continue in what you've learned and firmly believed. So I just want to highlight the fact that the thing that carries us through is, in some sense, ultimately about knowledge. In fact, he's compared to the fact that he says, but as for you, he's comparing Timothy to the verse before, to the evil people and the imposters in verse 13. And what they do is they deceive and are being deceived. It's all about what we know, what we know to be true or what they know to be true and how that gets twisted, right? So it it's really comes down to a knowledge. There's an assurance to be had based on what we can know to be true that gives us what we need to endure through all kinds of suffering. So what was it? What was it that Timothy learned? What was it that he firmly believed? And what was it that he he trusted? I'm going to give you two things and then I'm going to focus on the second one because the second one to me is is particularly interesting and unique. Um, The first one is scripture. So as you continue what you've learned and firmly believed, uh, because you know from infancy, you've known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom, for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And that's where we get, I think that's so cool to locate that passage. We all have heard that, that passage, uh, that all scripture is God-breathed, inspired and, and useful, to locate it in this argument, that, that this is helpful for us to understand what we need to know in order to endure. And he says, it's not just generally, it's not that he just learned and, and knew scripture generally, but ultimately he knew its it's central message. You've known from infancy the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom. Not, not, it wasn't able to give you the 12 steps for handling stress or, or like a new morality or, or, or the rules of life and engagement that'll help you just make it through life. It wasn't that. It was, it's able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That scripture ultimately revealed to him a central message and it was in a, in a truth and a reality that gives him everything that he needs uh, to endure. And that is, salvation is available through faith, in Jesus Christ alone. That is essentially all that we need to know, everything that we need to know to endure any kind of suffering. The, the question I was gonna ask is, what do, you, what do you think the central message of scripture is? What do you think the main story, the main point of scripture is? Because there's a lot of things, a lot of useful things in scripture. But I would just say, if it's not ultimately, if it's not ultimately about the salvation of our deepest problem, our own sinfulness that is available to us through faith in Jesus alone, then it's, it's, no, it's not significantly more valuable than any other book. If it's not ultimately about that, if it's not ultimately pointing us to our, our deepest problem and our only hope in Christ, then it's, then it's not any more valuable, maybe slightly more, it's not any more valuable than any other book. But that's the central point. That's the one thing that we need to endure, to know that we are saved. That's why I say when we're a family, we come together, the first thing we are, aside from being a family, or what we're trying to accomplish, the first thing we are is we're people that are saved by Jesus. What else do we need to bind us together than that, than that truth and that reality? Um, the second thing. Now, what, what is it that Paul is pointing him to, to give him assurance? He's saying, in, in this, you continue based on, based on this. It's based on scripture. But he also throws in another really, really interesting phrase. He says, you know those who taught you. It says, you know those who taught you. Now, Scripture has, we're not going to cut up, we're not going to dive into verse 16 and 17. I'm going to let it just stand because it's beautiful on its own. But Scripture ultimately has its own authority. We are, we are reformational Protestants. We believe that Scripture alone is our final authority in all things. Okay? What we don't mean, now if you've ever heard this argument when you're you know, debating people from other uh, faiths or, or circles, what we don't mean is that Scripture is the only thing that is authoritative in our life. We don't mean that we reject the authority of our teachers or our mentors or our parents or our pastors or the government or whatever. We don't, we don't reject those things and say, nope, the only thing I listen to is the Bible, right? We say it's, it's the only final authority. It's the only thing that is infallible that we can appeal to ultimately as the last word. It's the only thing. He doesn't say, you know what was true. It doesn't matter who told you. You know what scripture says, and you know what's true. He says, you know what's true, and you, you know the ones who taught you. He actually points us to the lives of the people that brought us that truth, that brought us scripture. And so there's, there's something of an opportunity for those of us who claim scripture, live by it, and want to teach it to others and, and share it with others. There's something of our life that uh, adorns scripture now what I don't mean is that we add authority to it we don't make it more than it is more more true than it is more effective than it is but there is still a responsibility on on us to live in such a way that we enhance that we magnify that we beautify the scripture and we can think of examples of this easy the guy on the corner with the Bible shouting at people and thumping people on the head with the Bible might say all true things. But he's making it kind of ugly, too, right? And then we can think of people. You have people in your life right now. They might even be here. You've got people in your own life that you can think of that that claim scripture, that taught you what scripture was about, um, particularly by the way they lived it out. They were an example in such a way that you reflect on their life and you think, man, they made those things compelling, right? So it's it's not that our life makes the truth more true, and it's not that our life makes the truth more effective, but there's an opportunity to prove it. Our life proves what we claim. So That's why Paul, um, earlier in Second Corinthians, he talks about uh, the people of Corinth being, he calls them uh, the letter of Christ. He says, you are like an epistle. You're, you're an epistle of Christ. Your own life is, is a letter from Christ to the world, and, and Paul himself was writing a letter that would be Scripture is saying that your, your life, in a way, is, is the truth written on hearts for the world to see and to, and to take in. And that's a, that's a heavy responsibility. That's a heavy responsibility because in a world of brokenness and deception and doubt, uh, the lives of those who hold the Scripture and teach it can either magnify its truth or they can cloud it and make it ugly. Uh, that's why Paul and others can talk about teachers being judged with a stricter judgment right? There's a sense in which when you're teaching people, you're responsible to not just give them the words, but to but to live according to those words as well. Um, this idea of adorning, that's, that's actually the word I wanted to highlight and repeat over and over, um, is the word adorn. And I'm not just making that word up. Um, Paul says in Titus 2.10, he says, demonstrating utter faithfulness so that those so that they may adorn the teaching of God our Savior and everything. So there's this idea that adorning the teaching of God, that's a, that's a real idea. And, and Paul, actually, we're not going to get into this, so I'm not trying to stir a pot necessarily. Paul's talking to, he's talking to slaves, and he says that as slaves submit to their masters and, and live agreeable and are, are helpful and, and, and sort of live well in the role that they are, are in, um, that they have an opportunity to adorn the gospel, to adorn the teaching of God, and without addressing that specific issue the idea is that those who live well in the role that they are that live agreeable and faithful and true and consistent and sincere they beautify and adorn the gospel and adorn the teaching of god so if we just were to get to kind of go back and look at the structure of this passage we could we could start at the back end and say scripture ultimately is this sufficient god-breathed authority that we have in our life And in it, we are taught how to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ, which is the only assurance that we need to continue and endure through the inevitable suffering and persecution of life. That's what scripture is. And it comes to us through the teaching and through the lives of others. And so the question is, who taught Timothy and how did it come? Two questions. I'll try to answer them quickly. Who taught Timothy and how did it come? So the one immediately, he says, you've known this from infancy, which is, which is an interesting thing to point out. And then if we were to go back a couple pages to 2 Timothy 1.5, so the beginning of this, this letter, he says this statement, which is, is, is beautiful. He says, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and now I'm convinced is in you also. So for Timothy... This truth, this teaching, these examples, the lives that brought this truth to bear in him came from his mom and his grandma. How awesome. We're talking about the, the, the one young man who was sent by Paul to the church that Paul arguably loved the most. And Paul has given his, a, a, a lot of his life and ministry to this church in Ephesus, and it's a big church, a big city, a big Gentile city, and he chooses Timothy a man who was really impressive when he met him earlier. You can read about this in like Acts chapter 16. Um, And and he loves Timothy like a son. And he sends Timothy to to pastor this church in Ephesus. And this is the one, and, and his faith came to him and the things he learned came to him through his grandma and through his mom. That's so, that is so cool. The point, it's not in the scripture, but it's easy to pull out from this, is that mom's, have a unique opportunity to teach children, not just teaching to children scripture generally, but teaching them the salvation that is available to us by faith alone in Jesus Christ. You have a unique opportunity to do that. But we have to ask the question, how? Because it's easy for us to take this and say, okay, I need to go home, and I need to find you know, a good devotional, I need to find some good curriculum, I need to sit down and carve out time to, to teach them through these things and, and really start instructing them. And, and so, that's—I'm not saying those are bad things, but it's good to ask the question: How did it come to Timothy? And I want to point out a couple of words. One is familiarity. Okay, I actually like the ESV translation in this case for a couple of reasons. But one is it says uh, that Timothy was acquainted with the Scriptures from infancy. So Scripture was familiar to him from infancy. Simply, or you could even say, just simply to know anything from infancy requires not just classroom instruction. It requires a kind of familiarity and regularity. When, when, we, when a newborn baby, when a boor, baby is born, one of the first things that we point out and acknowledge how, how beautiful it is that they recognize their mom's voice, right? They immediately notice and are comforted by the sound of their mom's voice because they've, they've heard it. It's regular. It's familiar to them. And, and I think that Jesus has alluded to the same thing. He talks about, his, his sheep hear his voice and follow him and know him. Like the, the voice of Jesus is a, is a recognizable voice to them, to those who follow him. So the question is, is, is the voice of Jesus and scripture that teaches us about his salvation, is it regular enough that our children and our grandchildren know his voice when they hear it? Are we making the truth, the truth and the voice of truth, are we making it familiar in our homes? Is it something that is turned over regularly? Not imposed, not wedged into a quick you know, thing before we break for school in the morning, but is it something that is constantly present and constantly familiar in our homes so that our kids recognize that voice? The other thing I just want to point out is what Paul acknowledged in Timothy in, that first, in the verse 5 at the beginning of the chapter. Is he says, I recall your sincere faith that lived, so there's a few things. It's a, a living and sincere faith that he observed, he observed in, in Timothy, but he, but he acknowledges lived first in his grandma and then lived in his mom. It's not just the regular good teaching. It's not that you need to find the right curriculum or kids devotional. Those are all good things and those are all helpful tools, but how is it that you can cultivate a life where a a, a sincere and honest faith lives and can be seen. You can almost imagine it emanating out of a a person. Faith is not something that is taught, but it's caught. It's something that we don't just learn instructionally, but we catch, we watch, we see, we absorb it. I'm sure that you're thinking either of your own moms or other people in your life that have been this example to you. A sincere faith that, that lives. Faith is observed, it's caught by our children before before it is ever theologized or explained or catechized even. If the goal for our life and for our kids is that they're able to continue in suffering, my question is, what do our kids see when we suffer? What do our kids observe about us as we are navigating the sufferings of life? A sincere living faith that rests in the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. And this beautiful book, right? that tells us all about it. What do our kids see? What kind of faith are they catching from us? In fact, later on in their life, if someone comes along to them and tries to assure them of their salvation in Christ and tries to give them the words that they need to endure a suffering that they're inevitably going to face, and if someone has the wherewithal to ask them, remember what you've learned, remember what you've learned, and remember who taught you. If someone comes to your kids and says, remember what you've learned, and remember who taught you, My question is, what are they gonna remember? What are they gonna remember about us, those who are teaching them those things? Are they gonna remember our accomplishments, our collegiate sports careers, everything that we were able to do while also raising kids, are those the things that they're gonna remember? I promise you, I promise you, there is nothing more radical and extraordinary and life-changing and earth-shaking and kingdom of God proclaiming than a mother and a father who despite the barrage of suffering encountered in the world are found with a Bible open at the kitchen table every morning and who approach every pain and persecution and every ordinary moment of life with the gospel constantly on their lips assuring us that we are saved by Jesus because after that, what else is there to fear? What else do we need? Those are the things that's the that is the that is the legacy of a living and sincere faith that we want to give to our kids. It also requires that we have it and that we know it and enjoy it ourselves. And so the question to Timothy, while it provokes us to think about our own kids, but it also it also provokes us first to to know and receive and trust in that salvation ourselves as well. If you don't know if you don't know that assurance, if you don't know that simple truth, if you still look at the Bible and think, man, there's all these difficult rules and oppressive uh, ideas, all these things that that are difficult to know. I don't understand what's going on. If you haven't yet learned or been told before today that it's honestly all about Jesus, if you didn't know that, if you haven't heard that, if you haven't received that assurance, if you haven't understood the salvation that is offered to you through Jesus Christ for your sins by faith alone, nothing else, not because you followed the rules or because you understood anything else, if you haven't received that, then receive it now. If you don't know those things, uh, talk to somebody about it afterwards. Anybody here, anybody that's been a regular here um, would be happy to address those things with you. And if you're a Christian and you've been in the church and you've, you've wrestled with suffering and never felt and understood and known how to receive the peace that allows us to endure that suffering, maybe you haven't fully understood. Maybe the gospel hasn't come to bear on your present life. It's one thing to say I was saved from my sin. It's another thing to acknowledge I'm being saved right now. I'm being transformed and carried through right now in this moment. So just tell somebody. Talk about it. Um, Encourage each other with that reality that Jesus has saved us. And we're a family of God because Jesus has saved us. Amen?